0: Mm, So you're in favor of vaccine passports?
1: Yes, very much.
0: Interesting. Interesting. I don't think it'll catch on in the U.S., but we could debate the merits. Hello, and welcome to the Asian American Forward podcast. It's just Don and I again this week. And we're in the same time zone again. Uh, I am visiting my parents in Tennessee, and he's in New York, busy on the campaign trail. But we wanted to take some time out uh, this week to uh, kind of reflect again on COVID. Just a few months ago, I was defending India's COVID response in our tournament that we did I don't know even if it was months ago. It might have just been a couple of weeks ago. Time flies. Um, but I was defending India's COVID response in our COVID tournament a few episodes back. But now they're kind of on the global splo- spotlight for failing to contain the virus. Um, so I'm really excited to kind of unpack some of that with you, Don, and also use this as an opportunity to think about what COVID is going to mean for us um, going forward as things are kind of returning to America in the US. So that was a long intro. Um, but Don, it's good to talk with you again this week.
1: Me too. Nice to talk to you. All. And also, it's a very glad we're in the same time zone. So you don't need to adjust or each sleeping hour.
0: Yeah, a lot less confusing with the scheduling too. Well, so India passed its COVID case count of 20 million in mid-March. And I read an article from around that time or even a little earlier kind of predicting that COVID was going to surge big time in India. So far it had been, you know, lots of people had been commenting as I had been commenting in our episode that India had a pretty unusually low number of COVID cases for its relatively dense population. And so we're in March, Modi announces a three week strict lockdown for the whole country. um, You know, as soon as the pandemic started and they were aggressive early on, however, they've struggled with testing. So what can we learn from kind of this dramatic change in India from a country that was kind of, you know, handling COVID relatively well to a, a place that's now where we're all looking to sort of how we were looking at Wuhan in, you know, February and India or not India, Italy a little after that. What, what do you make of this like dramatic shift?
1: Yeah, uh, I personally it's a worry suspicious at the very beginning is Indian control the COVID is very effective. At that time is I think it's a statistically and also it's a, a statistical system, the reporting system. And the is much far behind the advanced uh, Western country. So because it's uh, most uh, uh, population in India, it's uh, very, very hard to collect data and also it's, uh, report the, uh, the situation there, the real situation there. That's the original uh, suspicious, but also uh, in terms of Indians' uh, culture and the uh, living, the, the sanitary uh, environment, and I always have an impression that India is far worse than uh, most developing countries. So it's uh, if we couldn't have a good statistics, good reporting system, and also good testing system, the Indian number is uh, sooner or later, maybe research again. But uh, I didn't expect it uh, is coming to this scale. This scale is uh, far, far beyond the, uh every every people's expectation it's pretty serious and uh we're all worried about the spreading the indian the second second the uh second wave and going to spreading to the other countries i think at this moment uh, everyone and including the politician and the leaders around the country should be paying a lot of attention to pay uh, Serious attention to Indian situation and also uh, try to support the Indian government to supply uh, medical equipment and also uh, the other other things we can support them. That's the mm-hmm. uh, situation, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you have any concern that with the new variants that are kind of spreading through India? I mean, we don't know much about them yet in terms of whether they're more transparent miscible or deadlier than previous variants of the virus, but do you think there's concern that the high level of spread in India will lead to spikes across the world?
1: Very much, and the the, the variants of the uh, COVID is uh, this time is uh, we don't have a, a effective or it's uh, clearly passed how they transmit and how they spreading and also the uh, the the uh, the Capacity of the virus, how how strong they are, and how they can have anti uh, the, the medicine. We, so far we have uh, so so much the uh, we have done all the preventive and uh, uh, got the vaccine already, whether it's uh, anti-virus and have some resistance to that. That's the, the key. But uh, overall, I'm pretty confident that in this country, United States, even coming here, and uh, almost uh, two, I think it's one third of our con- country's population has been vaccinated already. So it's the, uh, I personally think uh, at the line uh, we pay attention in advance and also it's uh, uh, find where it's coming from and try to return the spreading. I think this country is pretty safe at this moment.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I love that you brought up the point about vaccine because I think India is kind of a really interesting entry point into talking about the global vaccine uh, supply just in general. So part, you know, it's kind of a two-part issue in India. One part of the issue being um, that they there is an India, um, Indian company. I want to say it's the serum Institute that I may be wrong. Um, but they, um, were one of the largest vaccine manufacturers who's been shipping doses of the AstraZeneca, um, virus, you know, to both to Indian, um, citizens and to people across the world. On top of this, there have been issues at AstraZeneca plants in Europe, and um, also the UK and Canada, um, that has seen delays in vaccine delivery, not only in India but across the world. And so I'm wondering um, if you kind of could relate that to American vaccine and vaccination efforts. Like, how should we be coordinating globally um, about making sure not only that in our individual countries we're containing the virus? Excuse me, containing the virus and. Um, you know, getting populations vaccinated, but how can we collaborate with other countries or how do you see that happening?
1: Yeah, I think this kind of a, a pandemic and at this time of COVID is a really showed the international, uh, all the countries should be working together. And especially, you know, the uh, last week, uh, uh, Joe Biden has been pushed forward to have a patent, uh just uh, release the patent to all the manufacturer to get them to have a generic uh, vaccine. And I think, it, I personally think that's the, the first step to help other country, especially poor country, they cannot afford uh, the the either Johnson, Johnson or so whatever the vaccine we have. So it's the, if we can uh, develop a non-patent uh, vaccine and I think it's going to help uh, uh, to solve the human suffering and uh, much, much quicker and effective. Whether it's a long-term, it's a patent system, it's going to help other drug companies or it's a help the uh, R&D for the uh, new drugs. And that's the, another issue. I think it's a top one priority to save people's life. This is the uh, number one priority regardless of uh, uh, the future, the law, or the innovation protection.
0: Mm -hmm. So to get a little bit more specific about it, um, there is in the U.S. a fair amount of vaccine hesitancy. We're kind of getting through the original rush of lots of people going for the vaccine, Um, you know, in late February, early March, when I first started looking into getting my own shot in California, California. I was told that there were no appointments in my county, and I couldn't get a hold of one. But I was hearing just last week that Marin County has a surplus. um, So that's another Bay Area county, north of San Francisco. They have a surplus of vaccines. um, And people either aren't coming in for their second shot or we're running through the number of people who are interested in getting vaccinated. So is it time for the U.S. government to start you know, moving some of these surplus vaccine supplies abroad.
1: Um, I personally think it is time. It's the as long as we have a supply. We need to send the, uh, the vaccine to the other country to help the, the, the other country's people, especially uh, for the to the Indian country to the Indian people, and also it's the other. Uh, there's several countries now. It's have a signs like uh, Brazil and the several other countries that have some troubles. So it's, a, it's time for us to help them. Help them is help us. That's the, my basic philosophy. Some people may not be happy, but I personally strongly believe this is a time that the Americans uh, American should uh, lend a hand to help others.
0: Mm-hmm. And you've been vaccinated, right? Yes. Yeah. So my other question, I mean, this is kind of turning away from India a little bit, but like, I'm curious about how people in your circles are talking about vaccination. You know, I'm fairly young and most of my friends were excited to get the vaccine, but I've had quite a few, even, um, you know, I have a twin brother. So members of my own family who have been pretty uh, suspicious, particularly of the mRNA technology that's used in both the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. So I'm curious about like in your personal life, are, is most everyone vaccinated, or are people still demonstrating some of that vaccine
1: hesitancy? It's a depend. Uh, so far, that I have a two uh, friends circle. One is in the New York City. One is back to the Bay Areas. It's Bay Areas people. Uh, most people they vaccinated already but uh, most uh, Trump supporters or Republican and conservative, they don't believe the government and they insist uh, the virus have some trouble or it's a long-term negative effect. They insist uh, they don't want to do the vaccine. That's the very, very small part of uh, my friend circle. But mm-hmm. in New York City, uh, people here is a uh, more progressive and they mm-hmm. More believe vaccines are necessary. The people here is still keep a social distance, have the face mask face mask every day. And whenever they go to public place, they always cover their mouth and uh, nose. And also they try to get a vaccine as much as the quicker as they can. That's the so far, the two different front circle. Here is a, they take a vaccine and uh, COVID uh, virus virus.
0: And when you're talking to those people who Are suspicious of the vaccine. Do you try to convince them? It's very hard.
1: It's very, (laughs) very hard. I I do try it, but even I just uh, start talking, they immediately shut me up. See, this is a conspiracy. It's a government Uh conspiracy and not good for for them, for their children. So they just tried the the different uh, thinking and logic. But for the young people, even the parent, they refuse to have a vaccine. But the, most of the children and their children, like a teenagers, uh, uh, twenty years to thirty years, they all go to the vaccine.
0: Mm. So, how do you think the government can kind of tackle this issue of vaccine hesitancy,
1: I or think, should we just
0: let it let it be?
1: No, I personally think so. Uh, if one person didn't do the vaccine, that's the, going to cause some uh, risk. So it's the uh, of course this is a free country people have a right to refuse to take a vaccine. The best approach for me is to just uh, emphasize or enforce public place. If you have a vaccine, you can go. If you don't have a vaccine, they don't allow you to go. So it's uh, in indirectly, it's going to put a pressure for people refuse to vaccine. In that way, uh, we can protect most people to provide uh, free riders. They just don't take a vaccine, but they can still go anywhere. That's going to bring risk to other people. So it's the uh, my approach or thinking is just uh, emphasize on um, most or all, all public place. If you want to go and you want the indoor activity, you have to show your vaccine pass card.
0: Mm, so you're in favor of vaccine passports.
1: Yes, very much.
0: Interesting. Interesting. I don't think it'll catch on in the U.S. But we could debate the merits of doing it or not. And that could even be a whole episode of its own. So maybe we'll save it for later. But I want to kind of bring the conversation back to India, having reflected on the U.S. a little bit. So one of the reasons that I have kind of read up about in recent weeks um, for the large outbreak in India is due to both politicians and um, citizens just Growing a little bit more relaxed about um, the virus. As I was saying at the top of the show, um, you know, there was an extremely strict lockdown in India. I don't believe you were able to leave your house at all. Um, and, but, and they've even seen a decline in cases earlier in the year. Um, but as kind of time has gone on, we've seen more and more like, um, large events happening in India that may have contributed to this surge. So as Americans also become more vaccinated and more confident about moving around, what do you think we can kind of learn from this message or this this situation?
1: The situation the, from a uh, uh, over restriction or it's the, from uh, uh, like a martial law, military, so the restriction and the coming to too exciting and uh, based on the political environment or it's a political season and go to very relaxed stage and uh, just uh, suddenly open, let's uh, give us a uh, lesson. So it's the we need to mm-hmm. quickly monitoring the, the case numbers and every day and every area. So to so make sure that we open, uh, open the restaurant public place uh, gradually to make sure it's the uh everything is under control and that's the the purpose and uh, you know it's we are in the campaign for the new york mayor and the start to have uh, an in-person more and more and uh, Mm. i see the trend that the people going to have a 10 20 50 100 500 that's going to be the the number going to increase and also state and also City, they have a different policy, and New York City say we're going to uh, open on the July 1st, and the state say we're going to open immediately. Some controversial is a, a policy from a political leadership that shows a different signal to the public. It's very, very, um, I don't feel very confident that it's a, if a government, if it don't have a uh, the policy strictly based on the analysis data, that's pretty random and uh, uh, random make a decision is going to cost a social cost uh, a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. So where's the balance between the like strict restrictions, strict restrictions, yeah. <laughs> strict restrictions and like allowing people to do things like, um, you know, have weddings and graduation ceremonies again that are really just a part of life that we do want back.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I emphasize there's uh, several of the uh, stage and also it's, uh, we need to monitoring in dynamic so it's, that means that every day every area that we have a data collection to make sure it's uh, we're closely monitoring the progress and also it's uh, which direction is going to happen. and also it's uh, indoor outdoor it's, it should be a separate policy outdoors so we can much much looser and mm-hmm. indoor is uh, we should uh, more restrictive. And uh, that's the the direction we should uh, go in for.
0: Yeah, so I also want to talk a little bit, we've sort of talked about India's kind of harsh crackdown, um, but this kind of COVID spike in India is also revealing issues related to censorship and technology and how governments um, can and should interact with companies like Facebook, for example. So India has requested that a lot of the big tech Um, and social media companies, Twitter, Facebook, included among these, take down content that they claim contains misinformation about the pandemic. Um, However, it could be just a pretense to remove criticism. There is some evidence of that. Um, How do you think we can balance kind of this need to send our scientific information in a crisis situation like this? And, um, you know, what is the role of companies versus government here?
1: Yeah, censorship is a pretty, pretty, uh, sensitive issue for everyone. And but, uh, uh as for the pandemic, some is the news is going to cause people's fear and tension, anger, or it's the whatever the the uh sentiment they're going to bring in. And I think a government that should be have a little bit a looser restriction to the uh medical or the disease uh, information related news some may be fake news but the fake news is uh, uh for the pandemic even uh i i personally prefer it's the let them spreading a little bit uh, even worse or it's give people a little bit of warning or scare it, uh, away instead of uh, take them down and uh, restrict the news spreading around i think it's uh, this part is a uh, it's different than political hate speech or it's the uh, violence in uh, the the tendency language. Those one is the more uh, serious on criminal side, but uh, I, for the medical information, I think it's the we can set a bar a little bit lower.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, for example, um, Facebook blocked uh, a, a resign Modi hashtag that was trending in India. Is that sort of um, behavior by an American company appropriate or is that you know, are they acting on behalf of a foreign government? Like what? How do you make sense of something like that?
1: Uh, that's different. It's, uh, you know, it's, I just say that uh, if information related uh, to purely to medical information or it's a pandemic uh, numbers or spreading the area, those kind of things, even a little bit uh, untruthful uh, or uh, in the number or the whatever the information content, we give a, lo- a little bit looser. As for the uh, step down, or it's the uh, ask the Moody to to resign, those kind of information, I think it's every public finger. They suppose, especially national, uh, the head of the uh, leader of a country should be have a much tolerance to the um, to the voice of uh, whatever objection or is against him. That's the uh, any leader they should have uh, this kind of a capacity to tolerate uh, uh, toward him but the whole, mm-hmm. somehow toward to the local or it's a little bit uh, and the regular normal people this kind of uh, uh things uh, maybe uh, we should have a different uh, rule or it's uh, criteria to evaluate especially for the facebook or google those companies uh they base here they are not not very familiar with the Indian politics generally, right. they shouldn't uh, step in to interrupt uh, those kind of a message.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, we could do a whole episode, honestly, about our Facebook Supreme Court that they recently launched. Have you? Do you know about this?
1: We know we, we're going to put this one on the next episode or several, several issues. Yeah, so, we uh, should uh, put a pin in that because be a,
0: we haven't talked about it before. Um, Yeah, because we could definitely talk about what kind of role, I mean, Facebook has played, for example, in Myanmar and whether it's appropriate for an American company to have that kind of influence in foreign politics. But that's completely a little bit beside the point um, today. Um, So bringing it, you know, back to COVID, back to India, obviously this is affecting Modi, you know, perceptions of Modi's leadership pretty negatively. I mean, he already had somewhat of a mixed record, I think, as a leader um, but I want to kind of get into the political nitty gritty about how crisis politics have affected not only India, but countries across the world. I mean, what can this teach us about um, how politicians handle crisis, crises in general? Um, you know, you can think about how Trump handled the, the pandemic versus the Biden administration, or um, kind of Netanyahu has also gotten a lot of criticism in Israel. On the other hand, We've seen uh, people like Angela Merkel, Jacinta Arden in New Zealand and um, the Prime Minister of Ireland, whose name I feel like I'm going to butcher, so I may not say it, have, have been kind of lauded for their approach. So um, kind of what lessons have you taken about political leadership from these types of crises?
1: Yeah, I think it's uh, uh, every single politician's uh, uh, the. Criteria to measure their leadership is uh, how they dealing with a crisis and the emergency. Always the uh, sudden happened the, the the emergency. Those kind of situation like a tornado. It's a flooding. It's an earthquake. Those yeah,
0: if you think about like the Bush, admi- or, yeah, the Bush administration and in Katrina.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. and nine eleven too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's every every event is going to be the trigger of uh, testing the politicians, their uh, judgment and their reaction uh, capacity, and how they uh, allocate resources to response to the emergency. And uh, I personally think it's uh, every politician in their mind, there's always consistent to have a ruler in their heart to measure which one is a calculated risk, which way they can go to win more votes and uh, win the, the people's trust, and also it's how effectively they can solve the problem. And I think it's uh, at this moment, uh, uh, Moody has demonstrated he failed to response to the Indian nation, nationwide uh, COVID second second wave. So I don't know it's, whether it's too late to adjust the policy, but uh, there's always a time Time always, always have a window to uh, and uh, experience from other countries. He can learn from and also ask for help to support and help Indian people to uh, get over this second wave crisis.
0: Yeah, I think it's also interesting to see, um, you know, how leaders have either benefited or, oh, yeah. um, you know, the opposite of benefited, <laughs> like, you know, suffered losses yeah. as a result of the pandemic. I think you could definitely debate whether or not Joe Biden would have won without COVID, uh, which is also, again, probably another uh, topic for another episode. But um, this has also happened in other places. The, the Irish prime minister I was mentioning wasn't super popular prior to COVID and has become more humanized as a result of that. Um, also in South Korea, President Moon Jae-in um, was sort of, you know, not doing so great. Economic growth is low. His diplomacy with North Korea had stalled, and but now his party has won a general election, and it's clearly connected to how he handled the pandemic. Um, so I'm wondering, as you also think about um, campaigning and are getting close to um, the uh, sort of closer and closer to the election date um, with Andrew. He hasn't ever led, so he hasn't maybe necessarily had a crisis moment of the magnitude of 9-11 or um, the coronavirus, but what do you think about in terms of the campaign as those crisis moments or where are those opportunities for um, him to really show his stuff as a politician?
1: Yeah, I think it is uh, you raise a very interesting point of the uh, politician handle the emergency, whether they take advantage to, to popular their name, or it's the make a more influence draw the attention of media, and also it's the whether they are suffering the, from the, the uh their way to dealing with uh, uh either pandemic or any other uh crisis. In my mind, is that uh, Andrew is pretty good on this part. It's, I just make an example yesterday there's a shooting happened in the Times Square, and there's a random shooting and the, Three or four people has been shot and got hurt. No other candidate and uh, uh, immediately just standing up and except Andrew and coming out this morning at ten o'clock in the Times Square at the same shooting place. Immediately called it's a press conference. And lay out entire the police reform and also its law enforcement reform plan. That's the very very in and also he delivered the message very clearly. Say, defund police is not right choice. It's a police need a reform, but also it's a New York people need a police to secure their. Life, their life, and also it's a very critical to for the New York to recover the economy. That's the against the very liberal or progressive the voice the defund police, and whether it's going to cost our campaign or not, we don't know. But uh, we truly believe, and uh, uh, police is uh, uh, needed, and also it's a uh, police. So far, the, the mentality of every police officer in New York, they just try to idle hide and do nothing, and that kind of a mentality should change immediately to protect New York people.
0: Hmm. Yeah, so I hope certainly that the crises to come uh, turn out well for you. I want to just add one last uh, little question, which is that you're the person who chose this topic. So I wanted to hear from you just why you thought this was important for us to talk about now, or if you have any personal reflections on kind of watching these events in India, kind of having been through our own crisis in the United States. I think it feels really different than it did at the beginning of the pandemic, watching Wuhan and watching Italy really heat up, knowing that it was coming our way. And now that we're kind of on the tail end watching it happen to someone else, um, what's the the kind of deeper meaning of reflecting on it now
1: to you? I personally feel it's a pandemic start from a uh, uh, start from China and spreading to the world, and each country has been dealing with a uh, uh, pandemic separately, and also the uh, uh, Indian the second third of uh, uh, COVID is really demonstrate if each country dealing with COVID or it's the entire human beings. Uh, crisis or pandemic is not good way. It's need to coordinate worldwide with every country get involved. And if one part of suffering, the, every part of a human being should be help, And then it's that way that we can uh, overcome the, the crisis. That's the why I think it's the uh, Indian uh, second surge of this COVID is going to be top. Uh, subject we should talk with the people and uh, make people realize our entire people uh in the world and on this global it's just a global village the concept the real, really so reflect our uh society especially the civilization mm-hmm. we need to emphasize this part and also it's a i think it's a heightened and the release at this moment is very very critical. No matter is a whole or pattern the system to set up to provide to protect innovation, but during the crisis sometimes we need to uh to sacrifice or some part of the uh market driving principle and give some uh, government a more way to dealing with uh the people who cannot use the money to buy the house, to buy the life, it's all uh, government responsibility to help people, everyone.
0: I love it. You're always the optimist giving me good places to end. So I think that is a great place to wrap it up, that we can think of ourselves as a global village. And that kind of gives us a a lens um, to think about all of these different issues. So I will thank you again, Don for joining me this week. Nice to be in the same time zone again with you.
1: Thank you, Katie.
0: <laughs> and we'll wrap it up there. My name is Katie Simpson. Our podcast is sponsored by Asian American Forward. You can visit our website at www.asianamericanforward.com. If you enjoyed the show this week or have a topic you'd like to hear us discuss on a future episode, send us your comments at info at We'd love to hear from you. You can also find us on Facebook and hear more conversations between Don and I at our YouTube channel. If you're a fan of the show, leave us a review in the Apple Podcast Store or tell someone about us. It really helps people find the show. Thanks for listening and we'll see you again next week.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Kitty. Thank you, everyone.